Would you stand in the reading in the presence of God's Word? When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of life. As I was first thinking about Christ the King Sunday, and before I had read the lection for the day, I was kind of thinking we might read an account of the resurrection, or one of the appearances after the resurrection, or maybe the transfiguration story where Three of the disciples see Jesus in glory and hear God's voice. And then I opened the Bible and read this text, and I was surprised. But I realized I'd kind of gotten caught up in worldly notions of kings and kingdoms. Here we are on this last Sunday of the Christian year, Christ the King's Sunday, the crowning Sunday of the whole Christian year where we're focusing on the fact and reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ is worthy to be king, is worthy to be our king. And yet it is so easy to get caught up in notions of what kings and kingdoms do in an earthly way and fail to realize what God is revealing to us through Jesus Christ. It's easy to get caught up in notions of power and victory at another's cost rather than at my cost. Notions of having it all rather than giving it all. Notions of love without service and sacrifice rather than love through service and sacrifice. This is a perfect text for us to read on this Christ the King Sunday. Because it's such a good reminder of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a different kind of king we're talking about when we read through these Gospels. Let's think about that this morning as we go along. Do you know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He's one of our greatest theologians, I think. He lived in the first half of the last century. As a young man, he began to feel a call of God upon his life. He felt called to go into ministry. He went to seminary, and soon those professors and students there could see that he was a brilliant thinker. 
He was so insightful. He had a great ability to write about Christian life and faith and who God was and how God was at work in the world. He was so brilliant, and his writings began to be disseminated that in the 1930s, his fame grew not just in Germany where he lived, but across Europe and then to England, then to America, and many were talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his insights into the faith. During that same time, there was another German who was coming to be known not only in Europe, but in England and in America. His name was Adolf Hitler. Dietrich Bonhoeffer strenuously opposed the moves Hitler was making. He spoke out against the Nazi regime and the way it was working with what was called the German Christian Church. The government took some action against him and began to put restrictions on his writing and his travel and what he could say or, or not say. He continued to receive invitations to come and speak. He took one of those and went to England for two years where he was a pastor and a teacher, then back to Germany for a while. Many institutions of higher education, especially seminaries, were inviting him to America. Finally, in June 1939, he decided to come and take a teaching position at one of our prestigious seminaries in New York City, Union. He came. He began to teach and write, but he continued to watch and monitor so very closely what was occurring in his homeland in Germany. He felt like he just had to go back. And so by July 25 of that year, he was on his way back to Germany. Before he ever got back, people knew of him because of his writing. One of the books he wrote was entitled The Cost of Discipleship. It's one of the best texts I've ever read on Christian discipleship. I put a couple of quotes in your outline today from what he wrote. In that book, he coins these phrases, cheap grace and costly grace, that any seminarian has read about and talked about and written about. I want you to hear a few of his words. He writes, cheap grace is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man or a person his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Bonhoeffer published those words in The Cost of Discipleship in 1937. He went back to Germany 
1939 to oppose Hitler. He continued to speak out and to write against the things the Nazi government was doing. They continued to come closer and closer to him, shutting down what he could say, where he could go, what he could speak about. Because of all that, he started an underground seminary to continue to train Christian leaders. He became a part of the resistance movement. He felt like Adolf Hitler was evil and that God was calling him to stop what Hitler was doing as part of the resistance movement. They finally decided that as Hitler's power grew that he would have to be assassinated if he was ever to be stopped. Bonhoeffer joined a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler and it failed and they were found out and he was arrested in 1943. He was kept in prison until 1945. And then one month, just one month before the Nazi regime fell, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged to death by his captors. He understood costly grace. He understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ in all circumstances and certainly understood that this is a different kind of king and a different kind of kingdom and a different way of life when you declare yourself to be a follower of this king. Let me press this point a little by quoting from another one of our great Christian writers. In his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis, C.S. Lewis writes, that Christ says this, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree. The moment you put yourself in my hands, Christ says, that is what you are in for. Nothing less or other than that. Oh, you have free will, and if you choose, you can push me away. But if you do not push me away, understand that I'm going to see this job through. Whatever suffering it may cost you, in your earthly life, whatever it costs me, I will never rest nor let you rest until you are literally perfect, until my Father can say without reservation that he is well pleased with you as he said he was well pleased with me. This I can do and will do, but I will not do anything less. Bonhoeffer and Lewis agree that there is a call on each one of our lives. It is the call of Christ to be a follower of His and to understand that it's a different kind of king and kingdom that we're entering when we sign up and say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They understand it takes total change and total commitment and that God's love will transform us if we will but open our lives to Him. And of course, that's one of the keys. Will we open all of our lives and let God come and live in us and let Christ transform us into the kind of disciple that we might need to be? C.S. Lewis says that Christ says, this I can do and I will do. It's the love of God coming to bear through the work of the Holy Spirit that makes this 
possible. But we must decide. God's love is active and at work, wooing us and calling us, but it's not coercive. It is persuasive. We have a decision to make. Are we going to follow? Are we going to participate? Are we going to respond? Our text today gives us a beautiful example of what that choice is all about. There's one criminal hanging on this side, joining the mockers, deriding Jesus and saying, if you're the Messiah, come on, show us something, do something, save us, save yourself. The other one is saying, are you kidding me? Hey, man. We are guilty. Of course we're hanging here. We deserve this. But this fellow, he's done nothing wrong. He does not deserve this. And then he turns his attention to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, you see the one on this side realizes something big is happening here and that Jesus really is king. And he decides at that moment that he wants to be a part of that kingdom. Oh, we have a choice to make. Which side are we standing on? How are we responding? How are we living our lives? Jesus' response is to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. You remember a few weeks ago, we read right out of Luke this encounter that Zacchaeus has with Jesus. And Zacchaeus' life's changed. And he says, I'm going to give back four times anything I've gotten in a way that was not fair or not right. And I'm going to give half of all I have to the poor. I mean, he's ready to be a servant of God, to be a follower of Jesus. And you remember what Jesus says? Today, salvation has come to this house. Just like today, you will be with me in paradise. God is ready. God is eager. God is already at work. If we're ready to open our lives and let God in, God's love will change us anytime anyone takes that step. There was a study done I read about years ago up in Boston in the inner city There were some sociologists that were trying to figure out why do some of these children born into this web of poverty and violence get out and make something of their lives significant and others get stuck there and never get out. They decided perhaps they could figure that out if they identified a bunch of those students, got to know them in high school, follow them for 10 years, go back and interview them and see about the ones who escaped, so to speak, the ones who got out and those who did not. See if they could identify the differences. So they did so, and they went and they began to interview these children that were now young adults. Many of them had escaped the old neighborhood, had moved beyond that web of poverty and violence, and and were doing very well. And as they were interviewing them, of course, they were saying, what made the difference? Tell us about the decisions you made. Tell us about what happened and what surprised them was that one woman's name came up in one interview then another interview and then another interview and the same woman's name kept coming up I mean the circumstances were different the stories were different but the woman's name was the same they said we've got to see if we can find her to see what she did and they began to check around and her address was the same it was still in the old neighborhood and so they went back and they found her and they talked to her they said tell us about what you did and she said well 
I tried to love every one of them. I really loved every one of them. That was it. That was the secret. Their lives changed in that relationship of love. The difference happened in the relationship as she extended love to each and every one of them. Maybe you're like me. You say, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to be a follower. I feel courageous in this moment. I'm charging ahead, but then you stumble or fall. I've had that experience. I take a couple of steps this way and then a couple steps back or sideways. It can be a difficult journey. It can be one of heartache and sacrifice, but it's costly grace, yet grace nonetheless that empowers us, grace that comes from God into our lives when we let it. Amanda Berry Smith grew up during the Civil War. She was a slave, but she survived that period, and she became a freed slave, and she became a Christian And then she became a popular preacher and an evangelist. But she says before all that happened, she was sitting in a worship service one evening, and she felt like the preacher was speaking straight to her. She said at first she kind of tried to scoot over and get behind the pole that was near, but the word just seemed to go right around it, she said, and speak to me. And the preacher was saying, you know, when you worked all day and you're tired and you're worn out, and she's thinking, yeah, I know about that. I wash and iron all day long. And he said, when you get home and you're really tired, you know what that's like? Oh, yeah, I know what that's like. When you go to bed at night, you don't fix any way for yourself to breathe, do you? You just go to bed and you breathe all night. She said, that's right. And he said, that is right. You breathe all night. You wake up in the morning. You didn't do anything special. The preacher continued, she said, you don't need to fix any way for God 